Hello Eaglemont, hope you're doing well. My name's Brennan, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're super excited that you're with us today. If you're a Christian or if you're just exploring, uh, I'm glad you're here today uh, because the issues that we're looking at and have been looking at are super important to address. We are in our last few weeks of the Problem of God series, which is based on the Problem of God book by Mark Clark. Um, before we get into this message, I just want to explain or reiterate you know, why we're doing this series, why it's important. Uh, just to remind us. So first, if you are here and you aren't a Christian, then this series at its core is for you. So it, we believe that that having a relationship with Jesus is the best thing that you can do. We believe it's the best decision you can make. And uh, we hope to just break down some barriers that might be in the way of you making that decision to follow Jesus and have a relationship with him. Things like if God exists or if Jesus really rose from the dead completely change how we view the world, um, how we look at our lives, and we've tackled those issues. You can check those out on the YouTube channel if you're, if you're new here. Um, but we need to take these issues seriously, right? So we've, we've talked about those issues, and you can do your own research by reading the book, The Problem of God, or by reading the Bible for yourself, or, or just looking into things. I encourage you to do that, to seek answers for the questions that you have. Because um, we find that, you know, when we bring our questions, it actually draws us closer to God. And we want to be a church where we're, we're open to um, doubts and, and people bringing questions. So we brought some issues to the table ourselves. So we are glad you're with us today. Um, and then also we're doing this series for, for the Christians. Um, because it's important for the followers of Jesus um, to know these answers for two main reasons. The first one is that in Western Christianity, in my opinion, there's a huge issue of lukewarm Christians. People who go to church or have been going to church for a long time, but really never deepen their faith with Jesus, never really um, daily walk with Jesus, right? Um, so the Bible calls them lukewarm Christians. And Really, that didn't seem like an issue because people were still going to church and we didn't really see the issue. But now, people are leaving the church. You know, the next generation doesn't understand um, why their parents hold this faith. And so when they grow up and they hit the real world, they usually, uh, statistically, lose their faith. They walk away from the church. They don't know uh, who God is, really. They don't, they were never convinced he's real. They never had an encounter with Jesus or made the faith their own. And that's the issue with lukewarm Christianity, especially when it's passed down, is people are just leaving church altogether. And so for you as a family, uh, I just encourage you to take Jesus seriously. You know, youth and young adults, I encourage you to look into these questions. You know, I just wholeheartedly believe that following Jesus is the best thing you can do, and there's nothing that can replace that. So I just encourage all the families to make Jesus real in your own walk. That's the best thing you can do for your families and your, and your kids. Um, and the second reason why we're doing this series is because we need to be able, be able to share the gospel. We need to be able to talk to people about these issues. 1 Peter um, 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, if someone says, you know, I don't believe in God because um, of there's hypocrisy in the church or because there's evil and suffering, you can engage them in conversation and maybe talk about some things that they haven't heard before. This helps us be a witness to people 
and to be able to talk to them about their doubts and their questions. And that is uh, something that we really need to do as a church. So that's why we're, we're doing this series. That's why we're studying this book. Um, so I hope that you'll take these questions seriously. If you are a Christian or not, doesn't matter. Um, we're glad you're with us. So that being said, let's jump into the problem of hypocrisy. So the uh, Barna Group has done some research on the problems people had with God and Christianity. They actually found that the main reasons weren't evidential reasons, but that they were uh, moral objections, right? So the, the top two or three reasons why people rejected Christianity was because that they, they didn't like the judgment, uh, the judgment or the hypocrisy of the church. That was people's biggest issue. What that means is the reason why people don't follow God is because of the followers of God. Right? That means people think that the greatest proof God doesn't exist is that um, is the followers of Jesus. So, you know, they look at, they, they think the church is judgy and, and mean, and they also point to the historical uh, facts of the church oppressing people and killing people and the violence and atrocities committed by the Christian church. The Crusades, the, the Inquisition, witch hunts, uh, slavery, and everything else done in the name of of Christianity or done by Christians. That's what they point to. And they say the church is hypocrites. Steven Weinberg, who is a theoretical physicist, said, good people will do good things and bad people will do bad things. But for good people to do bad things, that takes religion. And that is the thought process for a lot of people when looking at religion and especially Christianity, right? So People view us as people who say to do good things, but then do the opposite. We are viewed as hypocritical. And culturally, our culture just like hates hypocrisy, um, like, like very strongly. And, you know, we, this, there, there is a good thing about that. Maybe sometimes we aren't too forgiving, but there is a good thing about hating hypocrisy. We crave authenticity. We want people to be who they say they are. We don't want people to be lying or a different person behind closed doors. That's good. Because um, in this way, if you hate hypocrisy, you're like Jesus. Jesus hated hypocrisy. He hates hypocrisy. If you read the Gospels, which are the four books that tell of Jesus's life, you will see that um, the people that Jesus spoke out against the most were the religious people the religious people who were hypocritical. They were Jewish leaders who, who taught what the Bible taught, but they didn't live it out. They just wanted power and money, and they were selfish and self-righteous and hypocritical. And these people were the ones that Jesus really went after. Like, he was straightforward with them. He called them out on their stuff, and um, he hated their hypocrisy because they held incredible power um, not only social power, but power to teach what the Bible taught um, and to really live that out and show people how to live how God wanted us to. But instead, they just wanted power and, and money and they used it to their own selfish gain. So hating hypocrisy, that's not a bad thing. Like we should hate it. And we as Christians need to remember that Jesus hates our hypocrisy. We need to remember that. So hypocrisy in Christianity is an issue. And it is maybe the biggest reason why people don't come to church or want to know Jesus. So what do we do with that? 
Okay, so we're just gonna work through some responses to hypocrisy, kind of jumping from point to point, but where do we start? I think we start by admitting it. That's the first thing we should be doing and need to do, is just admit it. Yes, the church and people who do things in the name of Jesus have done terrible things. Right? And it's a sad history and reality that we as Christians now have to live with. And we don't, we don't pretend that things haven't happened. Um, we don't try to cover them up. We're talking about them now, and we are sorry. Like, I am sorry. Genuinely sorry. If you've experienced um, hypocrisy from Christians, if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been hurt by this church, we're sorry. Um, but people are sinners. We are sinners. And we're sorry for the pain that we have caused. Um, this is where we need to start. And that's why Jesus, at the start of his ministry, uh, in Mark 1.15, he started his ministry by saying to people, repent. And he wasn't talking to the pagans. He wasn't like the guy on the street corner yelling at you that you are sinful and terrible. No, he was talking to the to the religious people, like we talked about earlier. He was saying that the religious people need to be humble and turn from their ways and understand what they've done wrong and that they've made mistakes. So, number one, we start with humility and we start by understanding that we have an issue here. But then we need to clarify, you know, why do we have this issue? Why culturally um, do people view the church as hypocritical? Why might that have happened? So let's... Let's jump into some things. So there are two main reasons for the very prevalent existence of hypocrites in the church uh, today and through history, right? So um, the first main reason is that the church is filled with people who aren't actually Christians. That needs to be understood, especially for people that critique and judge Christianity from a distance. Um, you need to see that church isn't always filled with Christians. Right, so Jesus clearly taught in uh, chapter 7 of Matthew that there are false teachers. And, uh, you know, false teachers lead people astray. We might now think of, like, televangelists and people that use that platform to just get rich. And they use the Bible to do that. And that's terrible. Um, but Jesus also talked about how there's false disciples. Um, so people who actually lead themselves astray. Jesus says that these disciples um, will say to Jesus at the resurrection, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Sounds like they're Christians. Sounds like they're doing Christian things. But Jesus' response to them was, I never knew you. I never knew you. So for Christians, we need to look at our lives and make sure that we know Jesus. Just believing in him is not enough. You know, I mentioned uh, lukewarm Christianity earlier, and the scary thing is sometimes we might be deceiving ourselves. We might be deceive, deceiving ourselves into thinking that we have a relationship with Jesus, right? You can, you can go to church, not watch bad movies, not swear, uh, give some money to the church, volunteer every once in a while. You can do all those things and never know Jesus and never have a relationship with him. Mark Clark, um, again, the author of the book, stresses that following Jesus is not changing what you do. 
but drawing closer to Jesus and letting him change what you want to do. Letting him change your heart and your life, which then changes what you do. Don't just change what you do, but let Jesus change what you want to do. The Bible tells us that those who actually follow Jesus and learn the way of Jesus will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that we should be continually growing in. And you can see, am I growing in this? If not, you know, you need to make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you are pursuing him. So, and for the skeptic, you need to understand that the hypocrisy of Christians can a lot of the time be people that go to church and adopt the lifestyle of Christianity, um, but never actually know Jesus. They never grow in the way of Jesus or learn to follow him. And therefore, they can't be a good representation of what the Bible teaches, of what the life of Jesus is actually like and about. The second reason why people outside the church think the church is full of hypocrites is because the church is is full of sinners and should be full of sinners. You know, that's what the church should be. A place where broken people get together and they receive the hope in Jesus. People misunderstand the message of Christianity as if it's about making bad people into good people, as that's our only goal here. But that's not what it's about. It's not about what we can do for God, but it's about what God has has done for us through Jesus. Jesus was good and perfect because we couldn't be. And yes, we desire, we hope that as people come to church and know Jesus longer, that they will you know, be, be growing and become more like him. Yes, of course we hope for that. But that's not what this is about. We need to understand that just because someone goes to church or calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean they're instantly good. Right? People are going to be at different places in their lives in the process of becoming like Jesus, and that's okay. We want people to come and to be real, and we should be talking about our doubts and our brokenness. That is how we heal and how we grow. But when that happens, when we start talking about our doubts and our brokenness and, and things come to the surface, the church gets messy and it gets ugly, and from a distance, it can appear hypocritical. It can appear hypocritical. But God uses broken and messed up people because it makes him look bigger. If we're all perfect, doesn't make God look very big. But God is using all these messed up and broken people and it gives glory to him. We have to realize that now and throughout history, terrible things have been done in the name of Christianity. That those things they may have been done by people who don't know the first thing about Jesus or the first thing about the Bible, right? Like even now we see churches that preach hate. We see like the KKK teach that the Bible teaches white supremacy, which is just, it's all, that's all garbage. They don't know the first thing about following Jesus. They don't know the first thing about the Bible. So we have to take a step back and and, and look and say, you know, whether people are, are false disciples or just learning how to follow Jesus or just attending church and maybe haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. If you base Christianity on people like this, yeah, it might look bad. And even people that have been followers of Jesus for a long time, like we admit that we're sinful and we make mistakes. 
So we can't be too quick to label people as hypocrites just because they, they sin and are Christians. Instead, we have to look at the life of Jesus. The next thing that, that people a lot of the time point to um, showing that Christians are, are hypocrites or the church is hypocritical is um, the church's violent and messed up history, right? There, um, there are a lot of people who think that religion fuels wars and causes wars. And the idea is that because people who hold religious beliefs will... They won't listen to reason. They won't listen to laws. Instead, just their religious beliefs. So that can cause um, wars and it's hard for to control religious people. That's the idea behind it, right? Um, but let's look at some of these religious wars that Christianity has been involved with, which at this point in history um, does have some truth, but it's also grown into mythology almost. Like we have these ideas in our collective consciousness, um, but it isn't really based on fact, or sometimes it's like a, a half-truth. So let's take the Crusades, for example. So if you look into the history of the church and its rise to power in Rome, and later almost all of Europe, we see that the church became continually more powerful, right? And the thing is, when, when in throughout history, when the church becomes powerful, Christianity dies. It stops being what the Bible teaches and starts being about power. Um, so this is what happened in Europe. The church and state were not separate. The church had all this power. So then when Europe would wage wars, it was under this Christian banner. It was under this Catholic banner. But the Crusades were not fought for any religious reasons. Like if you read the Bible and read what Jesus said, there's nothing that would support the Crusades. The Crusades were fought for power. They were fought for land and nothing. Not for a Christian reason, right? It wasn't fueled by religion or Christianity. It was fueled by Europe doing what Europe did, which was try and gain more power, more land, more dominion over people. So to say that it's a religious war is sort of a falsehood because you have to look at what actually caused it. What was at the, the root of why it happened? And same thing with the Inquisition. Where again, it looked like the church killed and tortured innocent people because they believed something different. But that's not really what was going on. Um, the Catholic Church, again, had power. Um, and they wanted to keep that power. So they killed people who threatened that power. They did not go out and say, uh, let's go convert people so that they know Jesus. That wasn't their goal. The goal was to keep the power that they had and to oppress people. They weren't killing people because they were trying to follow what the Bible says. Actually, in this time, they, they killed people who were trying to follow what the Bible says because they were a threat to their power. Um, so these weren't really religious wars. They were nationalistic. They were political. And again, they were about power. But at the time, they called themselves Christians. So then it gets put on our history when... Um, the lives we're living and the lives they're living are going to be very different. But that's still on, in our history, and we need to continue to address that. So we also have um, the witch hunts, which again have sort of entered into our cultural subconscious. Uh, like Dan Brown in his book, The Da Vinci Code, says the church in Europe killed 5 million women during the witch trials. Which, yes, the Da Vinci Code is a fictional book, but this kind of shows how it sort of 
creates itself into this modern mythology and, and, and then we all sort of accept these numbers that have just get thrown around because uh, we also have Carl Sagan, who is an American astronomer, who said, no one knows how many supposed witches the church killed altogether. Perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions. Okay, but that's a pretty big perhaps to just throw onto a, a whole religion's past, right? Especially when he doesn't source or cite any of his sources here. So we kind of see how it's just become this idea of this massive thing, massive, terrible thing that the church has done. And yes, there were terrible things. Uh, but most scholars today estimate that 40 to 60,000 people, with 20% being men, were killed during the witch hunts in Europe, which is still a big number, and that's a sad history, but it is way less than millions, right? And Mark Clark tells us that if you add the Crusades, the Inquisition, and the witch trials, and uh, every other uh, Christian-based war, we find that Christians killed about 200 to 250,000 people over 500 years. Which again, that's a big number, that's tragic, but that's far from um, the millions that, that people often throw around. And we have to be, we have to remember again that this was in the context of armies that were fighting each other that weren't really fueled by religion. So, in his book, um, God is Not Great, Christopher uh, atheist Christopher Hitchens contends, as his subtitle says, religion poisons everything, right? So he argued that violence and hatred in the world um, arise almost exclusively from religion. And his solution for this is atheism. But the greatest atrocities over the last hundred years have not been from religious people, have not been from people uh, who follow uh, Jesus, but have actually been from secular people, from atheistic philosophies, right? Like we have Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Khmer Rouge, and, and we have other regimes and powers over the last hundred years have killed an estimated 100 million people. Not, and th that's not to say that like atheists are generally worse people. That's not the argument here. The argument here is saying that religion poisons everything and that religion and that the rejection of religion would be better for society and would cause less wars and fighting, that's simply not true. There's no evidence for that. You can't argue that religion causes wars and terrible things to happen because human nature causes that. Our sin nature causes that. Or like original sin that the Bible talks about is the root cause of that. The Bible actually has a reason for why these things happen. Human nature. Right, So no matter how enlightened we feel as a society, no matter the scientific advancements and you know, modern technology that we invent, we'll always be sinful. And people will always do horrible things to try to oppress people, whether they are religious or not. And we've actually seen greater atrocities by people who reject God and who reject religions. Why? Well, look at where the worldview points to, right? If you let the atheistic worldview run its course and come to fruition, this is where it leads. It leads to oppression. Because if there is no God, then I'm God. Then I decide what's right and wrong. 
I do what I want because it makes me feel good, because it benefits me. Atheism says that you aren't here for a reason or a purpose, you're just an animal here on earth. So why would we not live like animals, right? Like it's survival of the fittest, gain power, gain wealth, protect yourself, and that's all that matters. So if there's no God, why should we tell people not to kill, not to oppress? We wouldn't tell an animal not to kill or not to hunt. Obviously, this is not what most atheists think. There are plenty of atheists who are amazing people, um, but their worldview doesn't explain why they're nice, why they're caring. Their worldview actually points to oppression. That's where it leads. But the Bible goes against this. It goes against this idea and says we have to protect the weak and the oppressed and we have to care for the widows and the orphans because each and every person has value because they are created in the image of God and because Jesus died for them. And it's this worldview that caused Christians throughout history to love people and change the world. Like, like Florence Nightingale, who is the founder of modern nursing, or Mother Teresa, who gave her life to care for the poorest people. Uh, William Wilberforce spent his life fighting slavery in the British Empire. Martin Luther King Jr. fought racism in America. Corrie Ten Boom risked her life to save Jewish people from the Nazis. Or even like Mr. Rogers, who, whose goal was to tell every child that they were special and loved. That was all driven by a Christian worldview. A worldview that said everyone is important. Everyone has value. It was all driven by wanting to spread the love of Jesus. That's what we want to do. Also, just a quick side note, if you haven't watched the uh, Mr. Rogers documentary, you have to. It's on Netflix. Watch it just right after I'm done. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It's so heartwarming, and I think we all need a little bit of that right now. Um, it starts off a little slow, but it's worth it. Trust me. Anyway, had to say that. So, we have some other objections to uh, that talk about, you know, why hypocrisy in the church or why people hate hypocrisy in the church. So um, there are a lot of people who reject Christianity based on the lives and the decisions of other people, right? That's what, that's what happens when people say, I don't want to be a Christian because there's hypocrites in the church. You know, they don't base that on the Bible. They don't base that on God or Jesus, but on the people that follow or claim to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm sorry for the experience you had. You know, maybe a church hurt you, maybe harsh parents that, that forced religion down your throats and they weren't loving, and uh, maybe a judgmental coworker that just left a bad taste in your mouth. And whatever it is, I'm sorry. But let's think about this argument. Because I'd like to suggest that this response doesn't really hold up. It just isn't a legitimate challenge to Christianity. Because you are rejecting Christianity based on the followers, which you would not do for any other belief that we hold or anything else that we deem is true. If students of Isaac Newton turned out to be jerks and thieves and terrible people, we wouldn't reject the scientific advancements that he made. We wouldn't reject, you know, what he found about or found out about gravity. Because those things are still true, no matter what the followers do. So why do we reject Jesus, the greatest teacher 
that ever lived. Why would we reject what he said based on the people that fail to follow him? And I understand the emotional response that we have as humans, absolutely. Um, but whether or not you are going to follow Jesus is just too important to let your emotions dictate what you deem is true or not. Our emotions aren't good indications uh, or indicators of whether something is fact or whether something is worth following. The core of Christianity is Jesus. So our first questions should be, what did Jesus teach? How did Jesus live? You know, our judgment should not be based on the people that attempt to follow Jesus and mess it up. Leo Tolstoy said, Attack me rather than the path I follow, and which I point out to anyone who asks me where I think it lies. If I know the way home and am walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way home because I am staggering from side to side? You know, he's saying, just because I mess up how to follow Jesus, that does not make Jesus any less true. That does not make Jesus any less the right way or the right person to follow. And another argument against religion and Christianity is um, people think it causes issues of, of war and oppression is because uh, they, they say that truth claims cause this, right? So this argument was popularized by Sigmund Freud. And the argument is that if anyone claims to have the truth, they will oppress people and they'll fight people that disagree with them. So we need to get rid of all truth claims. But this is literally an impossible argument. And it breaks down the second you think about it. Because saying that we can't trust any truth claims, all truth claims are false, or saying all truth claims are just power grabs, is itself a truth claim. You are saying a truth claim about truth claims. You know, so now you are saying, I am the one who is right and everyone else is wrong. So it breaks down. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. You cannot go on explaining away forever. You'll find that you have explained your own explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something else through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. However, if you saw through the garden too, or how if you saw through the garden too? If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. C.S. Lewis is so smart. Uh... Somewhere in the world, there has to be truth, right? Christianity comes at this and says, truth is not a concept. It's not an ideology or a principle or an agenda or a religion. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Come follow me. You can't say that all truth is oppressive when the truth of Jesus is about loving your enemies, and dying for them and taking care of the poor, that kind of truth doesn't oppress people. So what do, we, what do we come to with all this, right? We know that there is a sad history of the church. We know that there are plenty of people in the church that are sinful um, and hypocritical, but at the end of the day, that doesn't disprove what Jesus did on the cross for us. 
that doesn't change anything about the Bible or change anything about God, we need to be careful about letting our emotions dictate what we deem is true or not. Because having these trivial objections can be costly. Just to end off, there's one more quote from C.S. Lewis that says, If there is a God, you are, in a sense, alone with him. You cannot put him off with speculations about your next-door neighbors or memories of what you've read in books. In the end, when you are standing before God in judgment, the question will be, what did you do about the offer of salvation in and through the finished work of my son Jesus? The question will not be, what did other people do with it? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. And it's too important to base your decision on what other people do. What matters is that you answer for yourself. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if so, what am I going to do about that? And maybe today is the day that you want to respond to Jesus. You don't need to have everything figured out. You can still have doubts. And of course, you're going to still have sin. That's okay. You don't need to look a certain way or think you need to act a certain way before you can follow Jesus. Jesus wants to meet with you where you are today. And I hope that you want to make that decision. And if, if you do, um, you can just pray with me. And I just, I just invite you to pray that this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and for taking that sin and that death away from me and putting it on yourself. Jesus, I put my hope and my trust in you and I choose to follow you and to learn how to live for you every day. Thank you for this gift of new life, God. Amen.